I've always tried to put the best interests of British Columbians first and foremost in everything that I do, and that involves listening to what people are saying. It's my responsibility to say to you today that I made the wrong call. That is BC Premier John Horgan saying something you don't often hear politicians say, which is, I blew it. I got it wrong. What is he talking about? Well, the BC government has hit the brakes on a massive museum project that was slated for Victoria. There is a Royal BC Museum in Victoria. The building is old. It's not seismically uh, up to par, so it needs to be replaced. And a few weeks back, the NDP government here announced that they were going to do that. And it was going to cost about $800 million. It was going to take eight years. And there was such an uproar about it. It was bad timing, bad communication, bad all round. The whole thing landed with a resounding thud. Uh, so today, John Horgan said he miscalculated public support for the plan to spend all that money. And he announced he's putting the project on hold indefinitely to hold, as you might have guessed, a whole lot of consultations. We made choices based on the best information at hand, and we thought we had it right. Clearly, we did not. I've heard the people of British Columbia quite clearly that we were making the wrong decision at the wrong time. Today I'm announcing that we're stopping the project and we're going to go back to the drawing board. Again, it's not often you hear a politician speak in that sort of Mia Cooper-ish voice. Uh, joining me now with more on that and lots of other stuff is a regular guest. Tristan Hopper is a National Post columnist and reporter. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Tristan. How are you? How are oh, you? Uh, thanks for calling. <laughs> We promised we would. So that was kind of an interesting. It wasn't unsurprising that they would do a complete U-turn on this, but the language used was pretty pretty self-effacing from a premier. You don't often hear that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time reporting on federal politics, and this never, ever happens at the federal level. So, yeah, you've seen, oh, dozens of screw-ups that were way worse than the museum from the federal government, and then... You know, so if John Horgan was, you know, Premier, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, he just would have said, oh, it's misinformation and disinformation that the museum is a bad idea and you stand with, you know, uh, the forces of darkness and I don't and shut up. So, uh, yeah, it's nice uh, to hear. The, the problem is, of course, uh, is that the museum in question, they already dismantled most of it uh, in anticipation of this happening. Um, so, yeah, you can put the project on hold, but... One of the problems was it was this beloved museum that everyone loved. The museum's still destroyed. It's still been smashed up. Um, so, yeah, they're not going to build a replacement, but now there's half a museum um, that, that, that's vacant. So I, I'd compare it to, uh, for all of your listeners who remember the Fast Ferries scandal, it would have been nice if Glenn Clark had the foresight to stop the Fast Ferries before the keel was laid down. Um, probably would have had, you know, maybe he maybe would have won another election, but Imagine if before he did any of that, he had already torpedoed half the fleet, uh, which is kind of what happened with the museum. So, uh, yes, future Still, damage has yeah. been averted, but uh, there already is a museum that's in shambles right now. Yeah, it's not in good shape. There does need to be a new building. They're going to have to figure this out somehow. I mean, the whole idea of building it wasn't so terrible. It was just the way it was communicated was so embarrassingly bad. Uh, and the way it was received and, you know, they just sort of dropped it, said, hey, we're going to close the museum for eight years and spend $800 million. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, so I imagine they probably want to go back and rethink doing something similar on a slightly different timeline and not maybe closing the thing uh, for years on end. But some good lessons in uh, government communications here, which brings me to uh, the Prime Minister. You uh, you mused this week uh, in uh, Post Media that maybe the Prime Minister is looking like he's a man with, with one foot out the door. Uh, why is that? 
Uh, yeah, there, well, there's there's kind of a stage, um, it, inevitably, with Cana- long-serving Canadian prime ministers, um, they do reach a stage where they just say, ah, screw it, um, I'm just going to rule by decree, I'm going to stop listening to the press, I'm going to stop listening to anybody, and I'm just going to kind of run out the clock until everyone hates me. Um, I don't know why this is our national pattern, because it, you don't really get it in the U.S., like, you do have, like... President Barack Obama serves two terms, and as he's leaving, he's got massively high approval ratings, and everybody misses him. Uh, we usually don't do that. We don't have prime ministers resign while they're on top. It's usually like, you know, Creighton or Harper or Mulroney. When they leave, they're the most hated person in the country for months on end until they finally leave. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, um, um, a, a number of the Ottawa pundis- punditocracy has sort of noticed that. Yeah, he is acting like someone who knows his time is up. Um, I mean, the Liberal government hasn't always worked at, uh, you know, 100%. But the just level of incompetence and not caring uh, lately has been much higher than usual. And you sort of you sort of saw this at the end of the Harper government. Uh, there was a certain point, um, about two years from the end, where you could tell that they knew their days were numbered and they probably weren't going to win the next election. So, yeah, you just stop caring. You stop giving press conferences. There was that weird period of time where Harper wouldn't let any of his MPs speak to the press. They only spoke in boilerplate statements. He had a whole bunch of his insiders resigning. So you're starting to get that sense of the liberals, I think. Um, but again, it, it takes it, it can take years sometimes to kill uh, an inefficient Canadian government that nobody likes anymore. Just think of Jen. Um, or uh, Gordon Brown in the UK. Uh, so, yeah, it, it does seem they're acting as if uh, they're probably not going to win another election. So that sort of changes how you approach things. I always find it's when they start delivering the lines in a way that maybe feels a little bit like they're embarrassed about what they're saying. That's where I always used to get to it. Because even the, the Tory MPs in those later days of Harper started to stop. They stopped believing in the spin. And you get the sense right now, if you look at some of the ministers, whether it be Omar Al-Gabra, who's had a horrible time recently, the transport minister, Marco Mendocino has been in all kinds of trouble. Bill Blair now is in uh, a whole lot of trouble. We can talk about that after the break. But it just feels like a lot of them just don't even believe what they're saying anymore. Or if they're turning out these sort of, you know, the the whole Russian embassy party thing that I don't think we've talked about. But that was just another example of what what's going on? Like, who's in charge now? Oh, yeah. The level of just... uh it's it's busy for us political reporters because you know once upon a time there was like one scandal every two weeks you know there'd be a dumb bill on the order paper we'd have you know days and days and days to parse it and call up experts and look at other dumb bills and stuff but there's like 12 at once going on and that was before we had this scandal in which uh, we'll talk about it after the break so uh yeah this is i i haven't never felt it this acutely uh, before, particularly with the Trudeau government and, you know, probably in my lifetime with any other government, we're just um, the level of screw up on all fronts is particularly high and no one seems to care. And, yeah, they're just trying to sort of keep hands off and, you know, maybe because, again, I go back to the, the, the Harper government. A lot of people who were involved in those last months are sort of answering for it now. Uh, you, you did a whole bunch of really embarrassing stuff near the end because you didn't care like the Barbera Cultural Practices Hotline. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of liberals saying, ooh, I don't want anything to do with this. I've got, you know, another 20 years potentially in politics, and I'd like to start yeah. all this. 
you don't want to be the Chris Alexander of of, of the Liberal government, right? Oh to yeah, sort of yeah. For, forever put out, put out, uh, trying to live down something in the in the final days of their uh, of their uh, time in government. Uh, yeah, for, a lot of these for, people. For um, it's it's sad because you're seeing all these these ministers just uh, um uh, are they interpreted differently? I, I did not. Uh, it was not involved in this poor decision. And these are dynamic, accomplished, intelligent people, but. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 federal politics has a pension to take good people and then just turn them into, you know, mouthpieces for nonsense and then destroy them and they go to an island somewhere and we forget they If not Trudeau, then who? I mean, he basically rescued the liberals. If everyone, anyone remembers back to when Michael Ignatieff uh, quit the party, everyone thought, well, that's it now. You know, now we're, we're entering oh, into a new era. Of, I'll just think yeah. of him saying, uh, we need to rise up against it. We're rise up, everyone. And I must think, and it, it, it actually bothers me that Ignatius is haunted by that. It would be nice if he was a sociopath. I could just move past that. But I know that he thinks of that about as often as I do and feels as embarrassed for himself as I feel embarrassed for him. Uh, there's a German word, Fremschamen. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, people forget the absolute state of the Liberal Party before I'll be honest with you. I, I've interviewed Brian Mulroney. He's still upset about how unpopular he was when he left. You know, he still is. It still rankles. I don't him think that you he get over so it. Yeah, uh, you you, you run into ex prime ministers, and when you're in charge of a major country, and then we throw prime ministers away, it's not like the U.S. where you have a Secret Service escort and you have a pension, and you're still riding around in limos. I mean, you're riding the subway a couple weeks later, and I don't think anybody ever recovers from that. I'm speaking with Tristan Hopper. He's a columnist and reporter for the National Post. When we come back, as we've been alluding to, we will get to this whole Nova Scotia scandal. So uh, the deal essentially is that uh, there were allegations that emerged from some of the evidence yesterday in that mass shooting commission in Nova Scotia that uh, the uh, RCMP commissioner, perhaps under pressure from the public safety minister, from the PMO, the prime minister's office, had leaned on local RCMP in Nova Scotia to talk more about the guns that were used in that horrific mass shooting as part of a way to advance their gun policy agenda. It's caused quite the stir in Ottawa, continues to, and we'll get to that right after this. But the fact that there's any question, that there's doubts being raised about the decisions of the government around gun control and whether they were using this incident as a political opportunity, whether there was interference, the fact that this question remains or this question exists is the problem. That is that is wrong that this is even going on. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh today talking about uh, what we were mentioning just before the commercial break, which was uh, this scandal going on in Nova Scotia. It came out of that uh, inquiry that's been going on for quite a while now into the horrific mass shooting in uh, in Portapique in Nova Scotia a few years back, uh, the worst in modern Canadian history, and some evidence that came out, uh, according to one superintendent there, uh, that he had been leaned on by the RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky, to talk more about the firearms that were used by by the gunman uh, as a way to support the Liberal government's gun policy strategy, and apparently uh, that some of that pressure was coming from uh, the public safety minister at the time, Bill Blair, who's still in cabinet, and the prime minister's office, all of which has been uh, vehemently denied by all those in the Liberal Party and uh, the commissioner of the RCMP as well. Uh, Tristan, this is quite the one, because this this one feels like it's not going to go away easily. Uh, no, I mean, because the sources are, I mean, I, I, I've seen a few scandals in my day. And, uh, you know, the, the, the worst kind of scandal is you've got, you know, some friend of a friend 
of a friend heard that this happened, and it's easy to sort of deny and discredit that person. But in this case, the source could not be more reputable. Um, all of these, all of the information that we're working from comes from the Mass Casualty Commission, which is a inquiry which was convened by the federal government. And then they got their information uh, from the notes uh, kept by a superintendent uh, of the RCMP, Darren Campbell. So this is just notes that he was keeping privately. Um, you know, he's a cop. He keeps daily notes, everything that happens. And as part of this inquiry, he just filed it. So they're just going through his notes. So um, when he was taking these, he was under no impression that this was ever going to be seen publicly. So these are just the honest notes of a pretty upstanding Mountie um, being found by a federally convened inquiry. So in terms of just can we trust this source, it doesn't get any more trustworthy than that. So, yeah, you are having uh, Bill Blair and Brenda Lucky um, going out and saying, oh, yeah, that didn't happen, uh, directly contradicting something that was kept by a senior Mountie. So they're basically saying for them to deny this, they have to say, oh, yeah, he just lied and the inquiry didn't look into it and they're reporting nonsense. So it's a bit harder to do uh, than you know, similar scandals in which maybe it'd be easier uh, to discredit the source. The Prime Minister, of course, is off in Rwanda. He's off for quite a while now. He's going to a bunch of conferences, the G7, Commonwealth First, G7, the NATO meeting in Madrid. So he's not around to face the fire, at least not in the House of Commons. But it oh, feels so like I would say tough. might be finding other conferences, like a, <laughs> like there, a whole summer, kind of like a whole summer tour? conference in Geneva. Uh, maybe I should go to that. <laughs> Just disappear for the summer. I, yeah. I don't see how the RCMP commissioner uh, survives this, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if this is going to result in investigations, uh, not investigations, but if this is going to result in resignations, uh, yeah, it's either her or Bill Blair, because her, uh, again, we're looking at the notes of this RCMP superintendent, and notes kept by Mounties are usually pretty staid, just, uh, you know, spoke to this individual when we found, you know, this evidence, and we're going to follow this lead, uh, and his notes were, he, so basically, what this all involves is there was a press conference held on April 28th. Uh, this is uh, eight days after the mass shooting, and a reporter asked, um, what were the weapons used? Um, and they said, well, it's uh, two, two uh, semi-automatic rifles and two pistols. And they said, well, what, what kind, uh, where did they come from? And the Mountie said, we don't want to get into the kind, the caliber, or where they came from, because that's still under investigation. Uh, and there's, I hate it when the police don't release information as a member of the press, but it kind of makes sense in this instance. Um, the guns, three of them at least, were smuggled in from the U.S. Um, so at the time he was speaking, there was an active FBI investigation to look into where they came from. And there's a number of reasons why you wouldn't want it publicly known what the guns are, because that might help you. Um, you might get an informant who knows something, and you can sort of test their actual inside knowledge by saying, well, what, what is the gun? No one else knows what the gun is. Do you know what it is? So anyway, there's any number of investigative reasons why you wouldn't want that information out um, because there was an active uh, investigation. So he gives, he gives that question, pretty standard for the RCMP. And then Brenda Lucky uh, gets him on the phone, the RCMP commissioner, and says, why aren't you releasing the, uh, the, the guns? We want to know what the guns are because, and says this quite explicitly, uh, I made a promise to the public safety minister that we we're going to get those guns' names out because they got a new uh, gun control thing coming up. And, uh, you know, it really help it if we could sort of leverage uh, this mass shooting to get that gun control bill passed. Um, so you had, and then to him reply, and this is all in the notes uh, from the Mass Casualty Commission, um, he tells her, Superintendent Campbell says, uh, well, um, like I said, if we do that, that could jeopardize the investigation. Like we could actually screw this up. 
um, if we release that information, so we shouldn't. And Lucky doesn't drop it, according to his notes. Um, kind of says, like, you don't understand. we got to get this thing passed. So in terms of just smoking gun, like, political interference into an investigation, it looks really bad. Um, oh, so and the optics, it's very similar to the, the SNC Lavalin. Uh, but yeah, and the optics too, the optics of worrying about gun legislation eight days, as you mentioned in your article, while the funerals were still going on, you're worried about. Oh yeah. So, so Superintendent leg- Campbell, yeah. uh, I mean, he, he lost, uh, one of his own, uh, one of those victims was, was a Mountie. I mean, this was, this was 22 Nova Scotians killed, but this was also, uh, the RCMP felt quite justly, this was a direct attack on them because one of the reasons it was so deadly is because this killer was impersonating an RCMP officer. Um, so he was able to get to some of his victims because they thought this was a cop, that he, that he was safe, and then, you know, pulled out a gun and shot them. So um, for any number of reasons, this, this hit the Mounties much harder than, you know, say a conventional mass shooting. Um, so you're dealing with that. You're Darren Campbell. You haven't slept in days. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. And then your boss calls and says, uh, yeah, yeah, drop all that. Uh, we need some information because we got this gun, gun thing coming up. Um, so Just, yeah, and it's the wider context of this whole. We're, getting, we're running out of thing. time, Tristan. I hate to tell you oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you. We'll talk about this again. Thanks so much for uh, for your time tonight. Much appreciated as always. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.